Um, ADHD and anxiety uh, mimic each other a lot. They look very similar to each other. And so if we are someone that is prone to feeling overstimulated, we can feel overstimulated by um, anxiety, stress, also blood sugar, having low blood sugar. If it's been a while since you've eaten, um, too much caffeine can also make us feel overstimulated and sort of agitated. So those things sort of mimic each other. Um, anytime we're feeling overstimulated, we're obviously going to feel like more agitated. But the reason for the overstimulation could be, again, ADHD, anxiety, also attachment, right? So we've talked a little bit about attachment in some of our previous episodes, but some of our attachment from our own childhoods affects our attachment in our relationships. And one of the Hey y'all, Katie here with Mom Nation, and welcome to another episode of Our Love Story. We know being in a relationship is hard, so Diana Isel, Certified Couples Counselor, and I talk through different tips and tricks to help you navigate your relationship and get through everyday life. While you're here on your favorite podcast platform, please subscribe to our channel, or if you'd like to visit us on YouTube and watch the video, our handle is Mom Nation USA. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it is Real Estate Katie and I am back. It's January 2023. Diana, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How's it going? How are you? How are your holidays? Great. Everything was really great. How about yours? Oh, very, very good. Went by a little too fast. And you know what? I honestly never thought that I would say that because usually the holidays are super hectic and you know, there's all sorts of things going on, but I was like, oh, it's already over all that for this, huh? Yeah, all the chaos, and it's just just like that. One day, here, and then gone. But it was good. It was good. And now yeah. it's a fresh start. It's a new year. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm really looking forward to another full year of talking through relationship problems for our group members. And I really love, thank you very much for humoring me on this and for being on board, but I really love pulling anonymous posts out of the group and talking through those. And I, I've gotten some feedback in the past because um, we've been doing that for a while now. I've gotten some feedback that that's just really helpful and we're really making a difference for these ladies. So thank you, Diana. Love that. Love finding solutions for these moms. Heck yeah. So before we dive into it, if you guys didn't know, this is my amazing co-host, Diana Eisel. She is a certified couples counselor. This is our Q&A with a couples counselor show. We are here once a month and usually on, on a one Friday a month at 10 o'clock. But Diana's daughter got a really awesome award today and she had to be there for school to at school to watch her accept it. And we all understand that. Right. So we're just a little bit late today, but that's OK, mamas. We're here. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Super important to just show up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they love it. My kid is eight and still loves it when I come to school. So I'm like, you know, milking that as long as I can. Cause I know there'll be a point where they're like, no, maybe you shouldn't come. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, right? Stop kissing me. <laughs> oh, but before we dive into it, Diana, I just wanted to give a big, big shout out there. This is an Arizona based company that I absolutely love. And it's American Patriot lock and key. My friend Jenny Estabrook, she's out there working real hard for you guys on your, you know, your residential lock needs, your commercial lock needs, and your automotive lock needs. Like, ha has it ever happened to you in your lifetime, Diana, that you locked yourself out of your car? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah and it's it's never good timing. No, it's not. <laughs> right. 
So you give Jenny a call. Uh, she is quick. They are so phenomenal. They've helped me out of a few jams over the years, and I just love them. So American Patriot Lock and Key, I have their link here to their Facebook page in the show notes. Check them out. Good morning, Dana Wilson. She is on with us. And uh, let's just jump right into it. Let's take a look at the post, the anonymous post that we're going to be talking about today. Here let's we do go. it. So here it is. For those of you that are just listening to the audio version, um, here's what it says. So it's an anonymous post, which is what we like to share. We don't want to call anybody out by any means. Um, My husband can be nice to me and we live a beautiful life together. But a lot of times he's either yelling at me, calling me names, passive aggressive or condescending. When he does that, my five and two-year-old daughters defend me, yell at him, ask him to stop, et cetera. I also have an infant son. If you experienced this as a child, would you be okay to share what it was like for you and how it impacted you as an adult? So the group member is asking for feedback for, from those that maybe experienced this type of situation in their family as a child. But I want to go back to what she said about this dynamic between her and her husband. What comes to mind first for you? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is that very first statement, that very first part of the post, right? Which is like, you know, my my husband is nice to me. And so I would be very curious, like, what exactly does that mean? Like, what does nice mean? Um, Because I think that's very subjective and different for everyone. But when we look at he's nice to me, but there's all of these other behaviors, there's sort of a split here. There's a, there's a two-part situation here. He's nice to me, but then on this other end, there's some really you know, toxic behaviors that are contributing to you know, a negative cycle. It sounds like a negative conflict resolution cycle. It also sounds like there are some boundary issues within the relationship too, what we will and won't expect um, and accept from our partners in terms of communication. Um, I also have to wonder what she experienced in her childhood and not only what she observed with her parents but any other prior relationships that she's experienced in her life too and if this is something that feels familiar to her or not because when we say going back again to he's nice to me we have this beautiful life but there's also a lot of times that he's not very nice to me and he's yelling at me and putting me down all those things it doesn't like it doesn't connect right there are some pieces that just don't go together. So like, what does that nice, beautiful life look like if these behaviors exist? I would also be curious about like, how long has this been going on? Is this like a new thing? Is this a thing that's always been part of the relationship? So I would ask for a lot of details regarding, you know, the frequency, how long this has been going on. Is this a new behavior? Have there been some major life adjustments um, recently? Obviously, they have two, three very young kids. Um, so there is a fair amount of adjustment with that. But I would be very curious as to the origins of the, origins of the relationship and how long this behavior has been going on. Yeah, I have all of those questions too. Um, and specifically, like, when does this happen? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I feel like there could be some factors involved in there. Is there substance abuse going on? Mm-hmm. Right? Because could this be happening? Like, we'll just pull drinking out and, and use that as an example. But could this be happening when hubby gets home? Maybe he has a couple of drinks when he gets home from work to kind of unwind. And then does it happen after that? Mm-hmm. Um you know, is there other type of drug use happening? Um, you know, um, 
for prescription medicines, I don't know if you can speak to this, but could there be that factor involved too? Like maybe there's a prescription medicine for some sort of ailment or something going on that could potentially change somebody's mood. Is that a thing? Yeah, potentially very much so. Um, There's definitely been you know, instances where if someone is on like, for example, like an antidepressant, mm-hmm. um, but it really isn't depression, maybe there's some other underlying mood disorder that's going on and antidepressant can actually flare everything like way out of proportion and make, make it seem more of a, um, anger or agitated type behavior. So certainly there are some medications that will definitely affect mood, especially if they are mixed with substances as well. So medications mixed with substances, we all know is just not the move. It's not a great idea, but that can change um, behaviors. Um, In addition to, I know I spoke about adjustments just a moment ago, but if there's some underlying trauma that's somehow been triggered recently with an adjustment or with something else, that can certainly cause a change in behavior as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it's like we obviously in in, in all of these situations, whenever we talk through a post, we're always looking for more information, right? More information is typically needed. But I think in this case, it's really important. Um, is it a certain time of day? I know with, with my particular situation with my husband, you guys all know, I've talked about this before. Um, he is, he has been diagnosed with ADHD. He's honestly has been his entire life since he was really a little guy. And, um, in our particular situation, I know that there are different situations and it can affect, um, others a bit differently, but in our particular situation, there are certain times of day when, when the overwhelm for him is just too much. And it's, it's kind of like a good example um, that I heard somebody say, it wasn't him, but somebody else that, that was diagnosed with ADHD had said, it's almost like inside your head, there's a hundred televisions on and they're all on a different channel. Mm-hmm. And so even processing very simple information, like I've realized with my husband, I got to kind of um, time things a little bit because of that, that's going on for him. Um, but even something simple like, hey, can you take out the garbage could trigger them, especially if there's so much overwhelm going on. I mean, people can only take so much. We all can only take so much. Um, Does that, do you feel like that could be coming into play here at all or something similar to that? Totally. It's definitely a possibility. Um, ADHD and anxiety uh, mimic each other a lot. They look very similar to each other. And so if we are someone that is prone to feeling overstimulated, we can feel overstimulated by um, anxiety, stress, also blood sugar, having low blood sugar. If it's been a while since you've eaten, um, too much caffeine can also make us feel overstimulated and sort of agitated. So those things sort of mimic each other. Um, Anytime we're feeling overstimulated, we're obviously going to feel like more agitated, but the reason for the overstimulation could be again, ADHD, anxiety, also attachment, right? So we've talked a little bit about attachment in some of our previous episodes, but some of our attachment from our own childhoods affects our attachment in our relationships. And one of those attachment styles is anxious attachment. And it's something that we're always like trying to get reassurance in our relationships. Am I okay? Are we okay? Is everything okay? And sometimes overstimulation is a side effect of having an anxious attachment style. So if we're out at a restaurant, the music, the lights, the sounds, the people talking, like all of those things just feels 
so overwhelming and that makes us feel agitated. So there are a variety of factors that could be going into his agitation. And again, how long has this been going on or is this something that's fairly new? Right. He might never have developed the coping skills for that. Absolutely. Um, if that's something that he deals with. We got a couple of comments, Diana. I'm just going to stop and read through them. Um, thank you so much, Jennifer. Jennifer says, thank you for this one. Kara says, I love hearing about someone talk about the physical, the components of irritability, caffeine, and blood sugar. I'm always talking to women about this. So Kara, she's a good friend. Um, she does work with a lot of women and kind of helps them get over their ailments, um, you know, burnout, things like that. So, so that's what must be when she's having those conversations. But I think that's giant too, Diana, because, you know, something I noticed in my specific situation, and I think this affects everybody, whether you have ADHD or not. Um, but when you're super hungry, like there's a reason hangry is a, is a term. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. So what can you speak to? And I know that this is not the type of doc you are, but can you speak to what's going on medically? Like why that is? Yeah, our blood sugar drops when we haven't had anything to eat for a while. And so our body is sort of like a little bit like survival freakout mode and everything just sort of feels like our nervous system's on fire. And that feels like anxiety. It feels pretty much darn close, if not the same to anxiety. So a lot of times when we talk to, and I'm talking to clients about anxiety or depression, and we start going back to self-care, it sounds so simple. And so like, okay, come on, like, you're just telling me that I need to eat more often, but seriously though, but you do (laughs) dehydrated is going to give you lower energy and is going to make you feel more agitated. If you have lower energy, you're not going to have the bandwidth to cope with things. Your blood sugar, if you're you know, living off of caffeine until lunchtime. And then all of a sudden you're eating, then you're definitely going to feel more agitated. And that's something that I feel like is, um, in a, in, in a little bit of a toxic way is reinforced in our society that like, Hey, I'm running off of caffeine and you America know, runs on Duncan's right. Like I'm just, I'm running off of nothing but caffeine and that's not good. That's not good. That's not a great way to live. So, um, to, you know, answer your question about blood sugar, when we eat, our blood sugar, you know, goes, goes up, it goes high. So depending on what we eat, especially. So when we eat like carbohydrates, something that's very carb heavy, that's where we get our energy, right? So if we're eating something that's exclusively or very carb heavy, it's going to shoot it right up there, our blood sugar right up there. Um, And then it's also going to come crashing down usually about three to four hours later. Now, if we bind that carbohydrate with a protein, it's going to stay level longer so that we have more of a sustained energy. But if we're eating carbs, something carb heavy, or even just a big meal, that blood sugar comes crashing down and then our body doesn't have that fuel anymore. And it's starting to like, ah, feel really anxious and freak out a little bit. So the consistency, the frequency and the amount, the quantity that we eat matters in terms of our mood. So hydration, blood sugar, and of course, sleep all affect our mood and sleep is affected by blood sugar and hydration too. If our blood sugar is too low throughout the night, we might have a hard time sleeping, waking up very frequently. Or if we have uh, too high of a blood sugar before we go to sleep, then we might fall asleep really easily, but might wake up in a few hours feeling really tense, really anxious because we've had this big blood sugar crash. So all of those things are going to affect our mood and they're often not things that we think about very frequently. Yeah. Cause I feel like it's glorified a little bit. Like, ha ha moms don't sleep and they just drink coffee all day and that's it. And maybe pick off their kids 
plate for a meal, like, ha ha, yeah. I'm doing it too. Not ha ha. That's like scary. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's sad that, you know, we, we laugh about it and there's memes about it. And like I said, it's like socially acceptable and, and it's not, you know, moms are not garbage disposals. We don't need to pick off our kids' plates and eat. Like we deserve to have full healthy meals and take care of our own bodies. We're entitled. We deserve to have that self-care, not only for ourselves because we are worth it, but we are also showing the people in our lives that we are worth it too. And therefore they're also worth feeling healthy and having healthy meals and taking care of themselves. Like we are not setting a great example and we're not you know, being a martyr or a, a positive role model in any way by doing those things. And in no, in no way do I want to shame any of the moms out there. If you're like, Hey, I live off of coffee until, you know, lunchtime or whatever, no shame here, no judgment here. Just know that if you do feel like you're experiencing anxiety or overstimulation, it might be time to go back and look at how can I make my, my eating routine a little bit more consistent, maybe pull back on some of the caffeine, especially later in the day and hydrate, 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 because that also helps our blood sugar regulate itself. A hundred percent. I totally agree. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, look at the animal kingdom. Cause I'm pretty sure all the moms in the animal kingdom, they feed themselves first. Pretty sure. Like not saying starve your baby, but that just shows, Hey, it's important. If they're instinctually doing this, like this is important. We have a couple of other comments here, Diana. Um, Tony says, amen. Set the example. Heck yes. Because your kids are watching, right? Diana, like they're always oh. watching. And that's Always. the second part of this, uh, this post as well. Absolutely. Um, Casey says, my husband and I have literally argued just about this. The fact that I wait to take care of myself last. Yeah. I think a lot of moms are in that spot. And, and I think that we think that's where, you know, we belong, where we need to be, um, and how we get things done, but it's just, it's, it's not beneficial. You guys need gas in your car or plug it in, whatever, whatever, you know, car you drive these days. Um, but, but it, the point is, is that that particular vehicle in order to do what it needs to do needs energy and your body is the same exact thing. And it just affects so many other things in your life when you're not taking care of those basic needs. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds so cliche. You hear it all the time. Like, oh, when you're on the airplane and the oxygen mask comes down, you got to put it on yourself first before you put on anyone else. But it's totally true. You have to be taking care of yourself, filling your cup before you can take care of anyone else. And if you're listening and you're like, wow, this sounds like me that I wait until I, I wait till everyone else is taken care of first, I would ask you to ask yourself, like, where did I learn this? Is it yeah. something that I learned from my mom? Is that something that I saw at home? Something I saw modeled for me? Is it something that is related to self-worth or confidence somehow? Why do I put myself last? Because you certainly do not deserve to be last. You deserve to be first. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Let's flip over to the second part of things. And I like what you said um, about when we were kind of talking about, hey, we need more information in you know XYZ area. I agree. I feel like we need more information to, to help this mama a little bit further about her past. Is this, is this particular family situation, something she's comfortable with? Um, because we know in talking with you in episodes from the past, sometimes we'll, without knowing it, you know, without really being aware, we'll seek that, which we are comfortable with, even though it's toxic and doesn't, 
um, work for us and it isn't a win for us. Can you speak to how that works a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah, we tend to emulate what we've seen, right? So whatever examples we've been set by our own parents tend to be the ones that we repeat, not all the time, but you will often find that there are some patterns there and some correlations between our own parents and the way that we parent and the way that we are in our relationships. You know, it really, it, it breaks my heart to see, you know, this mom say, you know, my, my kids will step in and yell at him and, you know, say whatever, because not only are these kids observing what's going on, but I kind of wonder how the mom feels about that. Like, yeah. how do you feel when your kids stick up for you? If you feel, you know, vindicated or you feel grateful for that, that is an issue with your partner because yeah. that tells me you are not getting the gratitude. You're not being seen or not being valued by your partner. And if you're trying to get that from your kids or you feel like you're getting that from your kids, that's just going to develop you know, unhealthy emotional bonds with your kids going forward. On top of the fact that, you know, we don't want them hearing, you know, mom and dad argue about anything, you know, so for them to be put in a position to be parentified, um, which means that they have to be like another parent to help guide another parent's behavior to be doing the quote unquote, the right thing um, is definitely going to do more harm than good in the long run. So mm -hmm. I would wonder what are the patterns that you've seen in your own life? What was your childhood like? Did you find yourself doing that? Did you find yourself sticking up for mom or dad if they were in arguments? And is that something that just feels typical or feels normal for you or feels like that's just what you're supposed to do? So I would absolutely examine and check your own um, impressions, opinions, biases on that um, going forward. And it is because we all know that kids develop their personalities and their um, patterns of thought and belief systems and all of that really early on. An attachment. We, an attachment, yeah. We, we, could be, we could be showing our children an unhealthy relationship pattern at this point and, and perhaps even ingraining it into them. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And it's, you know, it all comes back to attachment. Like what are the kids learning right now in terms of who is safe, who is consistent, who is safe, who is reliable? Um, are they learning that dad is not consistent, safe, or reliable? How is that going to change their relationship with him in the future? How is that going to change their relationship with their future partners in the future? Um, what they expect from their partner in the future, um, what they look for, typical boundaries that they might have for themselves. Like it's going to shape the way that they see their own relationships in the future um, based on these situations that are happening now. Yeah, um, and I agree. And something that you had said made me think, um, you had mentioned, you know, these, these things between mom and dad shouldn't be happening in front of the kids. And I agree. Mm -hmm. Is there a point though where it's beneficial for kids to see a little bit of conflict and then conflict resolve? Absolutely. Can we talk Absolutely. about that? Yes. Modeling healthy conflict resolution is amazing for our kids to see. We don't want to put our kids in a position where they feel unsafe or that things aren't consistent or they're unpredictable. Um, but if they see calm, consistent, um, communication in conflict between mom and dad, and they see it go through the full cycle to resolution, that is absolutely super healthy. But those things, those co components have to exist. They have to see calm 
and they have to see consistently calm and they have to see considerate. And when you're being considerate, that also means that you're validating. They need to hear that because that is something that adults struggle with in their relationship is validating yeah. because we seem to have this idea in our mind sometimes that validating means I have to agree with you. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to agree. It just means you have to meet the person where they're at. You know, if I was thinking that too, I could see how you would feel that way. I guess I would feel pretty upset, sad, frustrated, insert word here. That's validation, meeting the person where they're at. For kids to see that modeled for them, not only teaches them that they deserve to be validated in their relationships, but it shows them how to do it too. So yes, absolutely conflict resolution um, in a very healthy, consistent, calm, considerate way is a great way to show our kids how to do it for themselves. I love that. And I agree with that because I feel like it's not all rainbows and cherries and butterflies out there after you turn 18 and you're set free. Like you got to know you have to have some coping skills. You have to have some conflict resolution skills. You have to understand because it's people out there how to get along with the people. Um, but but in this particular case, it doesn't sound like it's healthy conflict resolution um, with the name calling and the passive aggressive and the, and the condescending behavior. So there's there's definitely an issue there. I personally feel without having more information or without being a fly on the wall in that situation, I definitely feel like there's some toxicity happening there. Would you agree? You do. I definitely feel like there's some um, unhealthy conflict cycles happening, um, you know, for this, for this mom, even if it's something that she can get you know, her husband on board with in terms of couples counseling, I do feel like it'd be really valuable for her to have individual counseling as well, just to uncover like, why is this okay for me in this relationship? What is keeping me in this relationship? Um, and again, that's going to go all the way back to the beginning. If this is something that's like, you know, within the last six months, okay, well, let's find out what's been going on or no, this is always just how it's been. Well, why? Like, why is that something that you are expected to accept or that's part of your your porous boundary that you're okay with having that happen those are all things that i think she can dig into individually like on her own to find out how she's gotten to this relationship in her life what she's learned about her own experiences and what she wants going forward before you jump into okay these are my expectations these are my boundaries let's go to couples counseling iron some of this stuff out um, and see if he's on board with some change Totally agree. And I think it's also worth exploring on both ends, um, the physical part of things, obviously the diet, um, the sleep, the exercise, the, um, and, and even the potential, you know, the possibility of having something like ADHD, or I know, you know, some adults out there are, are also have been diagnosed with autism and things like that. I, I don't have a lot of experience with autism. I don't know how that behaves in relationships. Um, ADHD is kind of where I'm at. I'm an ADHD wife and ADHD mom. Um, and so for me, I have told you kind of our whole therapy trajectory. And we were in couples counseling several years ago before the formal ADHD um, diagnosis. And though that isn't his free get out of jail free card, like I can treat you just however I want because I have ADHD and it's not my fault. No, um, what it did help us though, is to understand that he's dealing with some other factors that I'm not dealing with, um, that are affecting him at certain times, like with a hundred TVs on in his head, like it's a thing. And, you know, I, 
obviously in, in, I'm in love with this man. I want to make our relationship work. We have a beautiful life together. So I'm, I'm doing my best to be sensitive to those things, but still upholding my boundaries because bro, you're not allowed to treat me like crap just because you got something going on. Like that's, that's not cool. Um, Absolutely. you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Context matters. Like if there is a diagnosis to your point, we can look at things a little bit differently. It changes our perspective a little bit because it gives us a why it gives us a reason for it. It doesn't give a justification or an excuse for that behavior, but it does give us a little bit more of an understanding as to why. And then it gives us, you know, with some help, we can get some tools as to how to navigate that a little bit better. Yeah. Um, not only does he need the tools to navigate his own emotion regulation, but also we have some tools to help navigate that conflict resolution with him as well. So no, it is absolutely not a get out of jail free card. You don't get a free pass to just do whatever, even if you have ADHD, any sort of mood disorder, anxiety, depression, like all of those things does not give you a free pass, but it does provide some context for your partner yeah. to help navigate what that looks like and maybe renegotiate what some of those expectations are as long as both people are on board. Yeah, it's been super helpful. Honestly, it helped us discover when the, that part of the day is when he's got the overwhelm happening and there's not much he can do about that. Um, and so I just sort of avoid him during those times. I just text what I need versus, Hey babe, <laughs> you know, um, and, and that's been working out. Like it works out for us and it, and it keeps things cool and everybody's happy. So is there anything else you would like to add to this mama? Gosh, I wish I could give her a big hug. I feel for her. Same, same. I wish I could give her a big hug too. And I just want her to know that like, She's not alone and there is, you know, there are things that can be done here so that she can find her happiness, make her family unit happy again, no matter what that looks like. I'm sure this mom is totally sleep deprived. So she's got like a five month old too. Yeah. So I know that fatigue is probably, you know, firing on all cylinders right now. Um, but they're totally, they're, there are answers. And I think the answers are going to start with her and what her expectations are um, and what her boundaries are, what she's comfortable with, finding out the why of what these things are that are going on, all things that we've talked about, whether it's physical, biological, um, you know, how long has this been going on? Have there been major adjustments? Have there been some traumas that have been potentially triggered recently? Finding out some of those answers first and then deciding how to proceed and absolutely reaching out to, you know, a counselor or a therapist for some guidance. Totally agree. You know, this is a whole other topic of conversation, but I was thinking through this whole weirdness that our society has, and I think it's getting better now about seeking therapy and about having a therapist. Like, I, I don't understand why it's something that is, and maybe you can speak to it a little bit more because I feel like things are changing a little bit, but I, but I have felt like in the past, that it's something that's avoided. It's like last solution, if it even is a solution on, on people's plates. Like I, I don't, it, it blows my mind of why it is looked at as a weakness when it's actually a strength. Hey, I don't know everything. I'm sure that there's something better out there that I could learn or that I could do that would you know make things better in my life or, or for others. Why wouldn't I seek out that information? Why wouldn't I seek out that skill or seek out that help? I mean, I do that when my house needs to be painted. You don't see me out there on the scaffolding. Like I seek out help from a professional to come and help me with that. 
is that a sign of weakness? Like, again, I know it could be a whole other, I'm going off. It could be a whole other show, but it just bugs me. Yeah, no, yeah, I understand what you're saying. There are, you know, several valid reasons why some people decide not to um, seek therapy. And to your point, I do believe that our society, our culture is getting better. But, you know, a lot of times seeking out therapy in different cultures is just a big fat no. You don't do that. You don't air your dirty laundry out to strangers. You and 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 the way that we conceptualize conflict and issues in our family look totally different in different cultures. In some cultures, it's like, well, this is just this is what we do. This is how we live, um, which might be a completely different ball game in a different culture. Right? We're talking yeah. about boundaries and expectations, and people of other cultures don't always agree with that you know, in-laws are perfect example. Like we've talked about that in several episodes, but there are different cultures where, you know, it just, this is just how we do things. This is just how it's expected to be. We accept it to be this way. Um, even if somebody else doesn't feel like, like this is healthy, this is just how it is. We don't air our dirty laundry out. We do whatever we have to do to keep our, you know, our family drama, so to speak, to ourselves. So yeah the cultural component there. Um, and then there's also the component of, again, my favorite word of the day, I guess, is attachment. You know, when we're, when we're kids, if you are getting these consistent messages from your parents or other adults in your life, suck it up. You're fine. You don't need to talk about it. You're going to be just fine. Don't make a big deal out of it. You're mm. overreacting. You're blowing this out of proportion. Why is it such a big deal? Why are you crying? You're being a baby all of those messages get reinforced. And as adults, we play those again in our head. Why do I need to go talk to somebody? I need to just suck it up. I need to just deal with it. Right. I'm just a big baby. I'm overreacting. All of those messages replay in our heads as adults and keeps a lot of us from getting professional help because we've talked ourselves into this circle jerk of it's my problem. I caused it myself. And so I need to figure it out for myself. Yeah. They're going to think I'm being dramatic. If I go yeah. to talk to a therapist, they're going to say, oh my gosh, you're being like, so dramatic. Like people, other people have it worse. Girls have bigger problems. Right. Why are you being so dramatic? You're being so extra. No, you're not. You're not. Whatever you're experiencing and feeling is valid and you are worth spending the time to untangle all of those things and feel good. You deserve to feel good and you don't have to do it by yourself. Most people don't have the tools to do it themselves, which is why we're here. Exactly. You know? So culturally attachments, the things that we hear growing up, those are just a few of the reasons that prevent people from getting professional help. Totally agree. Thank you for that. I appreciate Absolutely. it. So if this mama or any other mama out there would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Absolutely. You can go to my website. It's dianaisotherapy.com. In the upper right-hand corner, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation as well. I'm also on Facebook, Diana Isotherapy LLC, and Instagram under the same handle. Yay. And I, I put your link in the show notes to make it easy. So go ahead and click on that link. Connect with Diana. We love her. We will see her next month back here again, maybe at 10 o'clock. We'll see. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you.